Thank you, Adam. Good morning, everybody. Hello, are you excited? Okay, great to be here. Let's get going. I'm excited to be here. Open up your Bibles if you have them. Uh, if you don't have them, shame on you. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, John 8 and Matthew 20. We're going to look at John 8 and Matthew 20. Uh, my name is Gary. I'm here with my wife, Jody, and our 12 children. Uh, and there is a picture of all of us. You can see them running around. They will attack you after service. All right, so when I started studying the Bible as an adult, I was 23 years old. One of the first scriptures that I read was John 8, 31 and 36. We read it before, I'll read it again. This, this scripture changed my life, and it has continually changed my life since then. Let's read it together. John 8, 31. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants. We have never been slaves to anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave is no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. The scripture grabbed my attention because here Jesus is promising us freedom. Freedom is something that resonates with all of us. We just celebrated 4th of July, right? And it was a whole holiday on us being free. We all deep down want to be free. I want to be free personally from the rat race. I want to be free from the judgments of others. I want to be free from my own self-doubt, free from my own critical thoughts, free from my own guilt. So I was excited that Jesus was not only offering me salvation and life eternal in heaven, but he was also offering me freedom here and now uh, in this life. And he tells us very clearly that if we want to attain this freedom, what do we have to do? We have to hold, hold to his teachings. So in December of 2012, Jody and I, and we had three kids back then, uh, back in the good old days. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, we had three kids, Garrett and Jolyn and Shia. And we went to China so that we could adopt two more boys. We adopted James, who was then 13, and William, who was then two years old. Here's a picture of us meeting William for the first time. So while we were in the city of Guangzhou, that city has 10 million people, we decided to take the subway. So my executive father decision. And the subways in China are absolutely crazy. They are super busy. I mean, they look like, all of them look like this. And you actually have to slam the person in front of you to get into the train. And the doors on the train are unstoppable. They're not like the New York subway, where if you put your hand out, they open back up. They do not open up. They just, you, did, you just got to clip and roll, right, to get in. So we're going into the subway. It's, it's all Chinese people. I'm not, I'm not being racist. That's all there are in China, right? It's just all wall-to-wall -wall Chinese people. We have a family of seven. It's Jody and me and the five kids. So the train comes and the doors open, and we rush toward the train. I'm holding Shia's hand, who is quite young. She's seven years old. And I have Garrett with me. Garrett's 10, right? And Jody's carrying William. She's got Lynn and James next to her. So Garrett and I push into the train. We're like the, the front linemen there, right? And, uh, but there's not enough room. And, and I hear Jody yelling, we can't make it. We can't make it. So I pulled Shia off the train. And as the doors close... I see my 10-year-old son, Garrett, alone and crying on the subway. And then I watched as my son left the train, left the station. And I was like, 
waiting for the next train to come was the longest five minutes of my life. I mean, the only good thing was that he was white and he stood out. I mean, but I, I didn't know. I, I, I mean, I was like, we lost the kid. We're going to have to get more. This is awful, right? Um, so I'm waiting for the next train to come. Uh, and, and the great news is Garrett was smart enough to get off the train. He somehow found a policeman. I don't know how he did that. Uh, and we found him 10 minutes later. We took the train. The next train was five stops. We got off. I'm screaming. And there was a policeman who spoke no English. And there was Garrett just holding on to him, right? So what's the point of my story? The point of the story is, first, we are awesome parents. <laughs> and if you want us to babysit your kids, just drop them off, right? No, the, po the point of the story is, I thought I had a hold of Garrett, right? I was under the impression that I had a hold of my son. I believed that my son was with me. And then I watched as the train left the station with my son on board. So Jesus says, hey, if you want to be free, if you want to experience freedom, you need to hold to my teachings. That's what Jesus says. For many of us, we think we're holding to Jesus' teachings. We're, we're under the impression we're doing what Jesus says. But then we watch as our freedom takes off in the train in front of us, and we're standing there on the platform, alone, lost, and confused, with no real freedom in our lives. And, and we're supposed to be Christians, and we're supposed to have this freedom we don't understand. Where, where is my freedom? So the question I'm going to ask you today is very simple. <clears throat> Do you feel free? Do you have the freedom that Jesus promised you? Are you free? The title of today's sermon is Freedom, right? It's, it's very clear. So today we're going to discuss... How do we get there? What are the practical next steps for us to get the freedom that Jesus promises us? So we're going to look at a story in Matthew chapter 20. We're going to read together. Now Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. On the way, he took the twelve aside and said to them, <coughs> We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And on the third day... He arose from the dead, raised to life. Then the mother of Zebedee's son came to Jesus with her sons, kneeling down, asked a favor. What is it you want? Jesus asked her. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink for my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to them, who, the, to those whom they have been prepared by my father. When the ten heard this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, "You know the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first." must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. All right, so let's look at the story. Two of Jesus' disciples, James and John, were spending time thinking about, talking about, scheming about their position in Jesus' ministry. You see, they were expecting a worldly kingdom, and they wanted the honor that they thought was due to them. And if you read between the lines, you'll see it's a really big deal to them because not only did they tell their mother, but their mother felt so strongly that she went to talk to Jesus about it herself. What we see here is James and John are trying to control their own lives and their mother is trying to control them. 
I mean, 2,000 years later, we are all still dealing with the same controlling mommy issues, right? But that's a different sermon, and we can talk about that later. James and John are standing there with their mommy, asking for specific positions in Jesus' cabinet. Now, Jesus, being the wise leader he is, he dismisses the question. He doesn't really address the question at that moment. Later on, however, the other disciples find out about it, and they're angry, they're indignant, they're mad. I don't think that they're mad because of the spiritual immaturity of James and John. I don't think, wow, these guys don't really understand Jesus' ministry. No, they're upset because they beat him to the punch, right? They, are at, they also want the best positions in Jesus' ministry. You see, they want to control their own lives. They want to control the lives of other people. And what we see here is just typical people politics. We watch it every day. We watch these same things play out every day. And what you have to understand is that this this control, this need for control of our own lives and in the lives of others is the exact opposite of freedom. When we're free in Christ, we don't need to be in control. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. So this sets the background for the lesson that Jesus teaches his disciples. It's the same lesson that I'd like to teach today. So let me rephrase what I think Jesus would say in verse 24 to 28 in modern day language. This is the way I think Jesus would tell us. He would say, listen, uh, you know that non-Christians will try to control their own lives and they're going to try to control your lives as well. And their leaders will try to control them. But Christians should not live this way. Christians should be servants to God and servants to everyone else. In fact, Christians consider, should consider themselves as slaves to God and slaves to the world. This is how you will know a true Christian. If you see them acting as a slave to everyone else because they consider themselves as slaves to God. So two simple points today. Keep it real short and simple. One, slavery destroys freedom. Slavery to sin destroys freedom. And two, slavery to God bestows freedom. So our first point, slavery to sin destroys our freedom. In John 8, verse 34 and 36, to 36, Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free you will be free indeed. The thing about sin is that it promises us freedom, but it never delivers. Sin paints a beautiful picture of you being completely free and doing whatever you want, but in the end, it sucks the freedom from your life. Sin promises you fulfillment, but leaves you empty. It promises you excitement, but it gives you pain. As a Christian, I have to repent every day of these sins. Lack of self-control, lack of patience, lust, selfishness, pride, anger, being rude, arguing, gossip. I know the right thing to do. I've studied the scriptures. I know it well. But often I sin and I just do the wrong thing. I commit a sin because I just want to. Something makes me emotional, right? Something happens in me and then I just want to act out. I want to do that sin and I want to feel better. I just want to do what I want to do. Don't look at me like I'm evil. You all do the same things too. But that sin never brings any better feelings. That sin just doesn't work, right? The sin brings guilt and numbness and pain. And then I feel sorry for myself, which is just more sin, right? Then it's a whole road you go down to. Sin promises freedom. It promises emotional fulfillment. It promises to make us feel good. But in the end, it's just slavery. We're just slaves to sin. And God says, I don't want that plan for your life. 
And then what's great part about the Bible is there's numerous parts of the Bible that actually list out all the sins in case we're like really stupid. The God's like, here, this is a sin, this is a sin, right? But the one sin that I think is the most effective at stealing our freedom is mentioned in Revelation 21, verse 8. And it talks about the sin of cowardliness. I think that's the one that really grabs our freedom. You see, the world strikes us with fear. The world tries to control us with fear every day. Every day we worry about losing our jobs, having enough money, our kids getting the right uh, education, our health, the house we're trying to sell, the house we're trying to buy. We worry about our promotions, our status, what other people think about us. Is the world treating me fairly? Is the church treating me fairly? We worry about our appearances, our career, our success. We worry about our family. The world strikes us with worry, with fear, and then we worry. And that's how the world controls us. Around America today, there are packed church buildings where the preacher is teaching the health and wealth gospel. I guarantee it. Friends, Jesus loves you. And Jesus is going to take care of all these things for you. I don't know what accent that is. And he'll give these things to you. I mean, there are preachers telling that all around the world today that you're going to get what you want, the health and wealth gospel. Jesus himself is preaching, repent of the sin of cowardliness and stop worrying. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says the words as a command to us, do not worry. There's no way to explain that away. I tried. It's not possible, right? You can't read it in context differently. The, the, the command is, do not worry. It's a direct command from our Lord and King, do not worry. My question to you, how are you doing with that? How is that going in your life about not worrying, right? It's tough, right? You see, we are all like James and John in Matthew 20. We all try to control with, with all of our might every little aspects of our lives. You see, we want to get all of our ducks in order. We want to prepare for every contingency. We spend so much time and money and effort trying to control our circumstances because of fear. And when we can't get control of our lives, we spend the rest of our time worrying about it. We actually believe that if we worry about something enough, we'll be able to control it. And instead of being in control, we are completely out of control and slaves to the sin of worry. And there is no freedom in our lives. And we can't sleep and we can't think. And we're obsessed. And we're worried because we're cowards. And we're not following what Jesus told us to do. Even our prayer life becomes a time, becomes a time of worrying with God. Right? Right? We actually try to control God with our prayers, and we get upset when he doesn't answer the prayers the way we want, right? And then we, this desperate need for control in our lives is actually cowardliness because we do not believe Jesus when he says, your heavenly Father knows what you need, and he will give it to you when you need it. It's very clear. Do not worry. God will take care of you. Man, that's challenging. Jesus commands us, do not worry. Slavery to sin steals our freedom. So the second point, the good news. Slavery to God's word bestows freedom. What do we do? You're thinking, I'm a mess. <laughs> All I do is worry. How do, Jesus says, hey, there's an easy way to solve this problem. The great news, Jesus gives an answer. The answer to freedom from fear and sin is clear. We need to become slaves to God's word, the Bible. It leads us to be slaves to repentance, slaves to others, and it actually works. That's the great part. In March uh, of 2016, we traveled to India to pick up our new eight-year-old daughter, Lakshmi. Uh, we were adopting her. And I traveled with my wife, 
my mother, my two daughters to pick up another daughter. So basically, I traveled around the, the third world country for 12 days with five women. I carried my cross, believe me. <laughs> there we are, me and all the girls. And that was, woo! Okay, so we flew to Newark, New Jersey, and then from Newark, New Jersey, we flew to New Delhi, India. We spent the night there, then we flew to Cochin, which is South India. And then we drove for four hours up the side of a mountain to the jungle mountains of South India, right? We found the orphanage. It was a concrete block building surrounded by animals and farm workers. The building was rough and dirty, and it looked like a prison. And then our new daughter, Lakshmi, came bounding into the, to the, to the main building where we were. She was wearing dirty shorts. She was wearing a dirty T-shirt. She had no shoes. Her feet were covered in mud. She had crazy hair. Uh, filled with lice that we later found out, which was fun for all. Uh, it was exciting to meet her. She was so warm. She was so loving. Uh, what an amazing experience. In the back of our minds, we all knew the prevalent human trafficking in that area and where most likely she would have ended up if we didn't adopt her. And so that was just pressing sadness and, and also excitement in our mind that she was with us. So we spent the night at the orphanage. We had a meal with the orphanage director. It was about 110 degrees. The food was absolutely terrible. Uh, <clears throat> but we made it through. And the next day, we were trying to leave. They're like, you need to stay here four days. I'm like, 24 hours is all you get. Uh, and they're like, no, no, you don't understand. I was like, no, no, you don't understand. Uh, we are leaving, uh, and I'm taking my daughter with me. So the orphanage director conceded, and she would allow us to leave. But she had to have a going away ceremony for Lakshmi. So they took Lakshmi. This is a Christian or or uh, orphanage. It took Lakshmi into the chapel. We all went into the chapel. And in this chapel, there were all kinds of crosses and statues around the room. And a group of workers gathered around Lakshmi, and they started chanting in a very monkish, weird way. And then they, after they were chanting for a while, they would walk up to the statues and the crosses, and they would pray before each statue. And they actually would kiss the statues kiss the bottom of the statue, kiss the top of the statue. And they spent, so they go through all the statues and they spent extra time in front of this one particular statue. This was like the Mac Daddy statue, right? And uh, they all looked at it and they're all kissing it and, you know, really excited about this one. And this statue to me looked like a fat guy with blonde hair and blue eyes. And the guy was holding a fat man child, uh, looked like a man, but a baby that also had blonde hair and blue eyes. So I was very confused about the whole situation. At the end of the ceremony, in my awesome, tactful, loving way, I asked the orphanage director, hey, who's the fat guy holding the fat man baby? The director was visibly upset with my question, and her response was, that is our holy mother Mary and the baby Jesus. She has come to visit us in this place. I, was flat. I had so many questions. I was like, whoa, whoa, what's going on here? Uh, so I had so many questions. First of all, I'm sure Mary or Jesus did not have blonde hair or blue eyes. I know that for a fact, right? I also know that Mary never went to India uh, while she was alive, and there's no indication in the Bible that she was a ghost traveling around the world. Probably wouldn't go to India if she was a ghost, right? Didn't make any sense. Uh, finally, I don't think Mary or Jesus was that fat. Like, that didn't, like... <laughs> Nowhere in the Bible does it say Mary was obese or Jesus was obese. Uh, they couldn't even get him on the cross if he was that big, right? And then, right, I really knew this. If Jesus was that fat, there's no way Mary could hold him. It's just not possible, right? What's the point of my story? 
You're like, I, I have no idea where you're going with this. The point of my story is that these people were not following the scriptures, right? They had taken some points of Christianity and they mixed it together with idol worship of their culture. Uh, they had made up their own religion, which they believed in all of their hearts was pleasing to God. They created their own form of Christianity and they believed that they were doing right and they were teaching generations below them. Now, before we all get on our high horses and judge this group of people, think about it, us for a minute. We all do the same thing. We mix Christianity together with our own culture, our own thoughts, our own beliefs, and we make up our own Christianity that doesn't actually follow the scriptures exactly. If you go back and church, uh, study church history and you read the teachings of Augustine, Martin Luther, John Calvin, even Billy Graham, you will see that they have done, we have done the same, this same thing successfully year after year. Are we allowing the relevant church movement and the huge business that is Christianity today to seep in and confuse our faith, right? This business has taken Jesus, present-day business culture, mixed it together to create our own religion, just like the people at the orphanage. We do it all the time, and we have to be really careful not to do it. So true freedom, the freedom that Jesus promises, only happens when we read, study, and follow the Scriptures. The first step to becoming a slave to God is you have to read His Word. You need to read, study your Bible. Reading the Bible is the key to your freedom. If you're feeling like, I'm not free, I'm a slave to worrying, I'm a slave, I don't feel freedom, you got to read your Bible. you got to study it. That's the answer. It's, it's that simple. Read your Bible, understand what you read, and then do it on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. That's how it works. And then magically, over a period of time, you will feel free. And if you don't feel free, it's because something happened in that process. I would assume in a church this side, there are people who don't read their Bible. <clears throat> and I understand being busy and I understand life coming upon you. But let me give you this challenge. It's a very simple challenge. The 10-10 or the 5-15 challenge, right? Let's start with the 10-10 challenge. Read your Bible in the morning for 10 minutes. Pray for 10 minutes. I guarantee you can give God 20 minutes of your time. I guarantee it, right? You read your Bible for 10 minutes and then you do what it says. You try to follow those scriptures during the day. You will see freedom happen in your life. If you're not reading your Bible, you will only be standing on the train platform watching your life take off. You'll be lost, alone, and confused. Why do I not get this freedom? It's in the Word. James 1.25 says that we look intently into the perfect law, into His Word, and we do what it says, then we will be given freedom. The Bible says it very clearly. Look right into the Scriptures. Do it. The problem is, when we look around at all these people in America who claim to be Christians, it gets confusing because we see very little daily repentance and therefore we see very little servitude and Christianity becomes void of any real freedom and power and it ends up becoming some of this worldview nonsense. The awesome church of Christ has been reduced to a bunch of programs, meetings, self-help books, and some catchy music. Second Timothy tells us, beware of this religion that has a form of godliness, but denies his true power. I mean, Timothy says, be careful for that garbage. And, and we've got to be able, how do you distinguish between true Christianity and, and, and American Christianity? You've got to read your Bible. You'll figure it out. You read your Bible, God says very clearly what, what to do. The world will convince you on the other side if you get away from that. The world says, the Bible's a waste of your time. You don't have time for that. Spend time in your career, your family. Relax. But the truth is, if you want Real freedom. If you don't want to end up kissing the fat man baby, you got to read your Bible, right? If these guys read their Bible, they would know this is weird, right? There's nowhere in the Bible that people are doing that. All right, to close out the, the, the study here, let's look at the final passage. It, 
Matthew 20, verse 26. You free, if you free yourself from sin and embrace God's word, you will be free. And there's only one thing left to do. There's only thing, one, one thing left that's worth doing, and that's for us to become a slave again. And let me explain. Matthew 20, verse 26. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Verse 26, Jesus says that we must be a servant. Verse 27, he says that we must be a slave. This must be is an action, right? Jesus is calling to go and do. When you read your Bible every day and you apply it to your life and then you repent every day, you're going to change your mind and you're going to change your actions to serve God and to serve others. Let me explain what happens with sin. You see, sin steals our freedom because it steals for us from being great. It stops us. Sin stops us from serving other people. If you're self-centered, you will not be able to see the needs of others. If you're prideful, you will not be able to learn the needs of others because you won't ask. If you're committing lust or internet pornography, you'll be distractive, ineffective. Your view of women will be skewed, be non-loving, and, and be confused. You won't be able to feel empathy for damaged people because you're involved in that sin. If you're critical, judgmental, and self-righteous, as many of us are, you're too busy comparing yourself to other people so you won't know how to help them. If you're a slanderer or a gossip, you'll see people as objects to make yourself feel better about yourself, and you're not able to serve them. If you're insecure, you won't take the steps that God lays out in front of you to help other people. If you're materialistic, your mind is filled with buying new things, and you won't be able to see the, see the needs of others right in front of you. You see, sin stops us from being able to be slaves to God and slaves to others. Sin stops us from being great. God has a great plan for our lives. Sin stops that plan. That's Satan's whole game plan. Get you to sin so that you don't understand the freedom that God has to offer. You don't understand how awesome it is to serve other people. And you don't see that freedom that happens. As long as I can keep you stuck in sin, you'll never be able to play out the plan that God has for your life. That's what Satan does, and it promises you all this thing and delivers nothing. Verse 26, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. You see, there's the plan. <clears throat> whoever wants to be first must be your slave. <clears throat> Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Christ served us and gave his life as a ransom. The Greek word for ransom, the meaning is the price paid for freedom. The price paid for In other words, Christ served us so that we could experience freedom. When we serve others, both them and us experience freedom. Ten years ago, and I'm almost done, I'll wrap it up here. Ten years ago, we adopted Shia. Shia was three and a half years old. That was when we picked her up. Uh, and we brought Shia home. She was the most beautiful three-year-old Chinese girl you'd ever seen. She was so cute. But if she didn't get what she want, she was a nightmare. Uh, I mean, unbelievable. And she would literally stand in one place. And the first time it happened, she screamed for two hours. And I mean, she broke me. I was like, that, I'm done. I mean, just give her whatever she wants. I don't care. Shut up. You know, she's screaming. Uh, the only problem was I was amazed at her stubbornness. I mean, I was absolutely amazed. But what she didn't realize is she was up against Jody, the second most stubborn human in the... No, no, not stubborn. But... <laughs> strong-minded woman, right? And I, and I was just watching the whole thing, like, I got to see who wins this battle. There was no way Jody was going to lose. Uh, and and that was, it was just awesome to watch and do nothing as a great father. Okay, anyway, moving on. You see our great parenting skills coming out again. Uh, you know, but we've all learned that, that lesson in life. 
No one cares about me as much as I care about me. I need to focus on me. You hear it all the time. I need to be true to myself. I need to watch out for number one. I need to, I love this one, follow my heart. Bible says, don't follow your heart. It's deceitful and it'll destroy you. I need to follow my heart. The world, tell, the world talks about how life should be fair. God never promises fair. We got to get that out of our mind. There's no, nothing fair. God is just. God is loving. God is righteous. But this idea of fair? No, it's not in the scriptures. Without God's word, the Bible, scriptures working our lives, we would all be like this girl. We would all be completely selfish, standing alone, screaming, I want what I want. Jesus is teaching the exact opposite of what we've been taught all of our lives. He's saying, if you put yourself last, if you put everybody else in front of you, if you're a slave to other people, if you're a slave to God, if you're a slave to God's world, then you will finally see freedom. That's exactly opposite. Luke 14, 33. Anyone does not give up anything he has, everything he has cannot be my disciple. How is it possible to water that down? <laughs> when you're a slave, you don't own anything. You're just a slave. When you don't spend, you don't spend time worrying about anything because you don't own anything. You don't spend time obsessing because you don't have anything. You don't try to control your life because you can't. You are a slave. You don't talk about what is fair because fair is so far gone in your rearview mirror that you don't even think about it anymore. Your role in life is very clear. You are a slave. Your life is simplified so that you can be free to serve other people. Jesus tells us to give up everything we have and become a slave to God, a slave to others. And when we do this, then we'll experience the true freedom. Nothing's holding us down. We're just walking with God. And when you're truly free, the world cannot control you. The world will not understand you. The world will be amazed at your life. Wow. That person doesn't worry at all. You have to see there's a huge difference between what the world teaches us and what Jesus teaches us about freedom. The world teaches us that if we want to have freedom, we need to collect more things. We need to serve ourselves. We have to perfectly control every aspect of our lives. Jesus says, if you want to be free, then you need to work up on give. You have to give up all these things. You need to be a servant and you need to not try to control the situation because that's God's job. You need to trust God that he'll take care of it. Do you understand that these two things can never work together? These two paths of life can't work together, but uh, it's impossible. But yeah, every day as Christians, we try, right? We try to marry Christianity, worldly thinking, and then we're frustrated because we don't see the freedom in our lives. At the same time, we want to have Jesus in our lives and we want to kiss the fat man baby. We all do. And it just doesn't work. Aren't you tired of not being free? Slavery to sin destroys our freedom. Slavery to God's word will give us freedom. I challenge you to make a decision today to experience the God's true freedom. And when the world sees you and they see that you're free, they're going to say, I want to be free too. I don't know what you're doing, Gary or Jody or whoever you are in your family. I don't know what's going on, but I want part of that. I want to be free. And then you can confidently and freely say to them, come with me and meet the king. At this time, we're going to take communion and we're going to thank God for the freedom he has given us through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we are so grateful for the freedom that you've given to us. It is awesome. It is amazing. The plan that starts in Genesis and ends in Revelation is just absolutely unbelievable, God. And we're just so grateful that we get to be a part of it. Thank you for the freedom. I pray that you'll be with each one of us. Help us to become a slave to your word, to slave and a servant to others. Help us to 
get rid of the sin, to confess and be open, whatever we need to do here right now with you and maybe with somebody else. I pray, God, that you will lead us all to this awesome freedom. Thank you for Jesus, for his death, burial, and resurrection. Thank you for this juice that represents his blood and the bread that represents his body. We are just so incredibly grateful for the freedom you have given to us. In Jesus' name, amen.